You were created by God. In His image, He made all of us, handcrafting each and every one of us to experience joy, love, and life to its fullest. But mankind didn't stay in this perfect relationship in the garden. Creeping into our paradise was Satan himself, disguised as a serpent. He deceived Eve and ultimately the entire human race. Fooling us into believing the lie that sin isn't so bad, the sorrow won't last, the pleasure will be worth the pain. He made us think we can handle it. Sin changed joy into sorrow. It caused us to exchange love with hate, truth for lies, life with death. We were lost without hope, without peace. We needed to be rescued from our peril. The world needed to be saved. And then he came. Jesus changed everything. Born of a virgin, living a perfect, sinless life, he calmed the raging seas. He brought hope to the hopeless, purpose to the aimless. He brought healing to the hurting. He shined light in a world overcome by darkness. He restored joy in the midst of sadness. He paid the penalty for our sin and gave us freedom. With his own blood, he brought healing to our brokenness, dying in our place, dying for our sins, and by his wounds, we are healed. They placed him in a borrowed tomb. It seemed like the story was over. The people mourned, not understanding how this could be. Then, three days later, he rose again. Bursting forth in victory, Jesus walked out of his own grave. He destroyed death so we could live again. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changed my family. Jesus changed my business. Jesus changed my job. My dad. My grandson. Jesus cambió mi futuro. Jesus changed my son. Jesus changed our marriage. My husband. My coworker. Jesus changed our finances. Jesus changed my future. Jesus changed my leukemia. When the world said my story had ended, Jesus had other plans. Jesus changes everything. Jesus cambió todo. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Good morning, Crossroads. Happy Easter. And what a crowd. I cannot believe... Isn't this a great sight to see? Give the Lord a hand for all the people who've come to worship here today. This is awesome. We have some good news to share, and uh, what a great weekend this has been. Uh, Friday night surprised us beyond our wildest dreams. Uh, so many people came to be baptized. And then yesterday afternoon, another great crowd, and a whole group of more people came to be baptized. In fact, I need to tell you, Right now, the warmest place 
in this amphitheater are those two baptistries because they've got heaters in them. But now don't go jump in yet, okay? We'll, we'll wait till later for that. But uh, I want to say thanks to some people before we get started uh, today. We certainly need to thank uh, all of the music, uh, worship people who've led us uh, this weekend. Would you thank them for me? What a great uh, job they've done. And to all of our staff and volunteers who made this possible, all the setup, uh, helping with all the details, would you thank all of them for me as well? <clears throat> this is no small undertaking, as you might well guess, and, uh, but it is worth every penny and every hour to see so many people come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The title of my message this morning is, What Difference Can One Man Make? What difference can one man make? Now, before you think you know what the message is about, I need to tell you right up front, it's not what you think it's about. We're going to talk about one man who made an incredible difference. Now, the obvious one, that's Jesus. But you're going to learn about another one today that most of you have never heard about. And you know, it's people like that who've made a difference in our world that um, sometimes we're really not aware of. For example, I want to show you some pictures, and if you know who this is, you can shout out their name. Uh, anybody know who this is? Well, they did it wrong. They put his name up there. Thank you, PowerPoint geniuses. Anybody know who this is? Yeah. Arthur Fry. You know what Arthur Fry invented? Put it up there. Post-it notes. Arthur Fry, how many of you have been affected by post-it notes? Raise your hand. All right, so he made a big difference in all of our lives. Let me show you another picture. Anybody know who this is? Shout out their name if you do. Okay, here's the name. Stephen Perry. Anybody know what Stephen Perry did? Watch this. He invented rubber bands. How many of you have been blessed by rubber bands? Raise your hand. Almost every one of us. See, these, that, that's two people right there that made a big difference in our life, and you, you probably didn't even know who they, who they were. Here's the third one. Anybody know who this guy is? You don't, yell his name out if you know him. Here it is, Johann Voller. Anybody know what Johann Voller did? Watch this. Paper clips. How many of you have been blessed by paper clips? All right, here's another one. Anybody know who this is? Here's his name, Martin Cooper. Are you ready for this? You want to know what he invented? Mobile phones. How many of you have been affected by Martin Cooper? Absolutely. Here's another one. Anybody know who this lady is? Now, I want to tell you, every one of you in this, in this amphitheater today has been affected by this lady. Here's her name, Mary Anderson. And guess what she invented? Windshield wipers. Is that amazing? How many of you have windshield? Ah, uh, never mind. All right, how about this one? Anybody know who this guy is? Yell out his name if you know who he is. Okay, here's his name. George Franklin Grant. You know what he invented? Golf tees. This is my favorite guy on the list right here. Amen, amen, amen. All right, here's another one. Anybody know who this gentleman is? Okay, here's his name. Harry Coover. 
Not Harry Hoover. Harry Coover. Guess what he invented? Super glue. Anybody been blessed by super glue? All right, here's another one. Anybody know who this lady is? Here's her name, Vesta Stout. And the name kind of fits what she invented. Watch this. Duct tape. Anybody been blessed by duct tape? Sure you have. All right, let me show you another one. Anybody know who this gentleman is? Here's his name, Thomas Edison. You know what he invented? Yeah, everything. The microphone. We couldn't have this service today without him making a difference with the microphones. Here's one more. Anybody know who this gentleman is? Here's his name, Nick Hollenyak. You know what he invented? Show us the LED screen. So the fact that you're able to watch me now is based on the difference that that one man made. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. What difference can one man make? What difference can one woman make? What difference can one young person make? A lot more than you would ever dream. The greatest example of all time is obviously found in our text today. And if you have a Bible or you have a mobile device, turn to Matthew chapter 28. We'll be looking at the first eight verses. And there are actually two examples in this story. One is obvious of a man who made a big difference, and that's Jesus rising from the dead, just as he said. But the other one is hidden. And that's the one I want to focus on this morning. The first eight verses of Matthew all center around the tomb, but most people have never heard the story of the man behind the tomb. And yet he's a terrific example of the difference one man can make. But before we see that story, we need to go back a few hours to see where he enters the picture. And you'll find that in John chapter 19, verse 38. And here's what the Bible says. After these things, after the crucifixion, after the death of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took his body away. Who is this Joseph of Arimathea? Well, notice, first of all, his status. There were two Josephs in Jesus' life, one at his birth, the legal father of Jesus, Joseph. But God provided another Joseph at his death, Joseph of Arimathea. Now, the exact location of Arimathea is not known, but some Bible scholars believe it was the same place as the birthplace of Samuel. John tells us in verse 38 that Joseph of Arimathea was a disciple of the Lord. He was a lesser-known disciple, but he plays a major role in the life and death of Jesus. I want you to know it's not always the noisiest saints who are the most used by God. There's an old saying, the empty wagon makes the most racket. 
There are a lot of disciples of the Lord who don't make a lot of noise. They don't draw a lot of attention to themselves, but they are strong in the Lord and deep in the Lord and making a difference for the Lord. That was Joseph of Arimathea. Now, Matthew 27, verse 57 tells us Joseph of Arimathea was rich. I'm thankful for people over the years who have means that God has given them the ability to make money and they love the Lord Jesus Christ and they love His church and they're willing to use their money to give to the things of God so the gospel can be preached. You know, there's a little place in this area right over here in the corner. If you go stand in the very corner of this amphitheater and you look back and you see the sports center and the sports fields and you see the, the children's building and you see the main facility in the, in the background and you see the youth building that's under construction and you just stand there for a minute and realize what all God has done to bless this church and how many people have given faithfully and sacrificially so that everything you see is paid for. That's a miracle. I'm thankful for people, especially those of means like Joseph. So Joseph was a wealthy man, and John 19, 38 tells us he was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews. Why would Joseph fear the Jews? Well, you need to know his situation. All four Gospels talk about Joseph of Arimathea. We've already seen Matthew 27, 57. He was a rich man. Luke 23, verse 50 says he was a good man and a righteous man. In Mark 15, verse 43, it says he was a respected member of the council. What council? The highest council of the Jews, the Sanhedrin. Joseph of Arimathea was a respected member of the Sanhedrin. And that's why he was a secret disciple of Jesus, for fear of the Jews. Do you realize what would have happened to Joseph of Arimathea if word got out that he was a disciple of Jesus? You talk about cancel culture. They would have ostracized him. They would have kicked him out. So he followed secretly, the Bible says. But he did not follow silently. Notice his stand. Early on the morning of the Passover celebration, after Jesus had been betrayed, after Jesus had been arrested, after they'd had some phony trials that night, the Sanhedrin had been hastily called in by the chief priests and the scribes. Luke 22 tells the whole story, verses 66 to 71. It was a kangaroo court. It was a setup. It was a, it was a joke of a grand jury and a mockery of justice like goes on too many times in our world today. And they said to Jesus, if you are the Messiah, admit it. Tell us. Tell us the truth. And all Jesus said, it is as you have said. And they flew into a rage. And Luke chapter 23 verse 1 says they rushed him to Pilate. And they accused Jesus with all kinds of false charges, including that he claimed to be a king. And he told them they couldn't pay taxes to Caesar, neither of which were true. But both of which would have meant treason an insurrection. Well, because Jesus was a Galilean, Pilate sent Jesus to Herod because that was under Herod's jurisdiction. And Herod examined him and Herod mocked him and ridiculed him. And then he sent him back to Pilate. And in Luke chapter 23, verses 13 to 16, Pilate called the chief priests and the rulers of the people together. And he said to them, you brought me this man 
as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, in other words, he asked his questions right in front of them while they were there. He said, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. And neither did Herod. Therefore, I will punish him and release him. And do you know what the Jews said to Pilate? They said, give us Barabbas. Do you know what crimes Barabbas had committed? Treason and insurrection. They brought Jesus to Pilate. He's guilty of treason and insurrection. He needs to be killed. And now they're begging for the life of a man who did both of those things. They didn't care about justice. They just hated Jesus. And so they began to yell, crucify him, crucify him. Well, in Luke chapter 23, a few verses down, in verses 50 and 51, you know what happened? The Bible says that Joseph of Arimathea objected to their decision and their action. Now, we don't know what he said, and we don't know what he did, but his objection was clear. This is wrong. But he couldn't stop it. No one could. And in the following hours, Jesus would be beaten and scourged, made to carry his cross through the city of Jerusalem, up a hill called Golgotha, John 19, 17, where he would be cruelly crucified. And what happens next is amazing. We find it in John chapter 19, beginning in verse 31. John tells us, since it was the day of preparation, that's Friday, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. See, as long as their legs were okay, they could push themselves back up and get a full breath and continue to live. But if you broke their legs, they would die quicker. Verse 32, so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. And he who saw it, this is John, has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the Scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, other scriptures say they will look on him whom they have pierced. It was late Friday afternoon now, and the Sabbath began at sundown. So the Jewish leaders said to Pilate, we don't want to break our law. We want to keep the laws that we, that we follow and we believe and we preach and teach to everyone. So we need to have the bodies taken down by sundown. Interesting how religious leaders will pick and choose which laws they want to obey. People are still doing that today. The soldiers broke the legs of the other two men crucified on either side of Jesus to hasten their death, but Jesus was already dead. So we know it was around 3 o'clock in the afternoon now on Friday. The Jews no doubt thought the bodies, all three criminals, would be taken down and thrown on the city dump, the valley of Gehenna where the trash burned continuously. And they were ecstatic that the body of Jesus would be in a common criminal's grave. However, Joseph of Arimathea had something to say about it. Notice his statement in John 19, verse 38. After these things, 
after the crucifixion, after Jesus had died, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Prior to the crucifixion, Joseph had been able to stay silent about his love for Jesus Christ. You say, why did he do that? He was protecting his position. He was protecting his prestige. He was protecting his power as a member of the Sanhedrin. But when he saw the Lord dying on the cross, he couldn't keep it a secret any longer. Now, John, who wrote the Gospel of John, he was there as well. Why didn't he go to Pilate and ask for the body of Jesus? He was a member of the family. He, he could have asked. Ladies and gentlemen, John might have mustered up the courage to get an audience with Pilate and ask for the body, but it's doubtful that he would have even gotten a hearing with the governor. But you see, Joseph of Arimathea had both access and influence. Why? Because he was a member of the Sanhedrin. And he also had the wealth and the wherewithal to do whatever it would take to take care of that body. So Pilate said, you may take the body. But it gets better. Joseph wasn't alone. There was another man with him, another influential member of the Sanhedrin named Nicodemus. And reputedly, he was one of the three richest men in all of Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in John chapter 3, verse 10, he was a Pharisee and a teacher of the law. And he and Joseph served together in the Sanhedrin. He and Joseph were friends. Remember Nicodemus came to Jesus at night in John chapter 3 and said, how can a man be born again? So Joseph and Nicodemus are no longer secret disciples. They broke from their colleagues. They broke from everything they represented. And now the two of them are taking the body of Jesus down from the cross. But it gets better. Notice his sacrifice. John 19, 41 says, Now in the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. How did that happen? Have you ever heard of the sovereignty of God? Here's the best part. Matthew tells us who the tomb belonged to. Matthew 27, verses 59 and 60. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb, and he went away. And Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there sitting opposite the tomb, watching all of this. Ladies and gentlemen, this was Joseph's tomb. This tomb had been cut out of a rock and prepared for him. It was one of the, one of the rare luxuries of the wealthy in those days. But now he was giving it to Jesus. But he had no idea it was only a temporary arrangement. And he and Nicodemus wrapped the body of our Lord in linen cloths and spices. Nicodemus is the one who brought the linens and the spices, 75 pounds, both very expensive. By the way, 75 pounds is more than 10 times the amount that would be used for a normal burial. What in the world is Joseph and Nicodemus doing for Jesus? You know what they're doing? 
They're giving him a king's burial. Now, when did all this happen? They had to have talked about it before. They couldn't have just all of a sudden done all this. If you'll permit me some sanctified speculation. I think it happened sometime between 9 o'clock and 3 o'clock, those six hours when Jesus was on the cross. And I can picture Joseph standing there and Nicodemus standing there and watching what they've done to the Lord. And, and Joseph saying, Nick, Nick, what? This is so wrong. I know. We should have stopped it. How could, how could we have stopped it? We didn't know it was going to end up like this. I know, but we should have done more. We should have, we should have said something sooner. We, should have, we, we could have done more. Maybe we weren't supposed to stop it, Joe. What does that mean? What do you mean we weren't supposed to stop it? Well, have you listened to what, what he said? He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's forgiving everybody. Did you hear what he said when he said, don't weep for me, weep for yourselves and your children and your children's children? Yeah, yeah I heard that, but I, I, what does all that mean? John, he's the one who told me, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believed in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That's what he's doing, Joe. That's what he's doing. You think? I know, Joe. Did, did you hear what he said to the thief who said he was sorry for what he did? And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Joe, this had to happen. This, is, this must be part of the plan. Well, what can we do now? He's going to die, Joe. I'm surprised he's been here this long. But we should do something. I, 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 listen, I've got a bunch of linens at home and, and some spices. I'll go get them and, and I'll bring them back and, and maybe we can help the people that are going to, that are going to take care of, of, of his body, the family. We can all do that. Joe goes, no, wait, 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 wait a minute. Unless you and I do that. I have a tomb right over there. We could go ask Pilate. And you and I could do this. Okay, man, I'm in. I'm all the way in. And off Nicodemus goes to get the spices and get the linens. And Joe stands there with a new plan. He's ready to go. He knows this is somehow part of God's providential plan to take away the sins of the world. And Matthew tells us they took the body down and after they had cared for the body and prepared the body and placed it in the tomb, they rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and they went away. Now for the first time in your life, you are ready to read Matthew chapter 28, verses 1 to 8. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word? Now you will understand the story of the resurrection like never before. 
Matthew says, Now on the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. You may be seated. Remember who owned the tomb. Joseph. That was his tomb. But who owned the garden? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Joseph did. If he was wealthy enough to have his own tomb chiseled out of a rock wall, he was wealthy enough to own a garden. Now here's my question. Do you think he went back to the tomb? The Scriptures don't tell us. But this was his property. And he and Nicodemus had rolled the stone in front of it. Now, I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have gone back on the Sabbath. No, no genuine Jew would do anything on the Sabbath except for the Jewish religious leaders who went to Pilate and said, you've got to have a guard because he made this crazy statement that he was going to rise from the dead, so we want you to be sure you, you guard the tomb. But on Sunday, I think they went back. And what do you think happened when Joseph saw that the stone had been rolled away? Maybe he was startled at first. Maybe he thought vandals had come. But when he went in and saw the linens lying there and the head covering neatly folded, maybe the hole in his heart was suddenly filled with hope. Ladies and gentlemen, the resurrection has a way of doing that. And listen, to those of you who have heard this hundreds of times, and to those of you who are hearing this for the very first time, the reason for the cross and the reason for the empty tomb, the reason Jesus died on that cross and on the third day rose again is because God loves you. It's all been part of his plan. What Jesus told Nicodemus, he says to you, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, the story of the resurrection tells us that all your sins can be forgiven. You don't have to live with fear and guilt and regrets anymore. You can live with joy and purpose and hope. You can go to heaven and live there forever. That's the story, the whole story. But I almost forgot, there's one more thing I wanted you to notice. His sermon. Did you know that Joseph preached a sermon? He preached it over 2,000 years ago, and he's preaching it again today. Can you hear him? He's saying, friend, friend, listen. Don't be a secret disciple of Jesus Christ. Go public with your faith. 
Don't do it the way I did it. Don't worry about what others will say or what others will think. Don't wait another minute. Declare your love for Jesus right now, today. Don't wait. If Joseph was standing here today, he would say to us, friend, let the whole world know. I am not ashamed for you to know. I belong to Jesus, the risen Lord. And my friend, if you're tired of being a secret disciple and you're ready to go public, we've made provision for that today. In just a moment, our singers are going to come and sing a decision song. And if you want to give your life to Jesus, all things are ready. We have heated baptistries. We have a change of clothes for you. We have, we have rooms, that uh, private changing rooms. We have towels. We have everything you need. And if you're ready to go public, if you're ready to say, I'm, I'm not going to be a secret disciple anymore. The world's going to know I belong to Jesus. I belong to the risen Lord.